We'll be looking at Mark 14, 32 to 42 this evening. And uh, this is the passage of Jesus praying in Gethsemane. Um, it's a heavy passage. It's an important passage. It's one that's uh, very familiar to us. Um, it's one, we say this about a lot of passages, but I think it's, it's especially true of this one, that it's one that you could spend weeks and weeks and weeks pondering and, and thinking about um, all that is going on here. Um, but there's just a, a few things that I want us to um, notice about this passage as we study it tonight. Um, but before we read the verses, <clears throat> I think it's helpful for us to remember that before this moment, um, Jesus has already foretold his death multiple times. Right? He has known uh, that this is coming. Uh, he has known that it would be soon. And um, he has also foretold uh, his betrayal by one of his disciples. He knows that that is coming. He knows that Judas is going to betray him. And most recently, he has foretold Peter's three denials that will take place. And all of these, I mean, one of those things by itself is a lot uh, to carry, to know is coming. Um, But to know all three of those things are coming and they are no longer months or weeks or days away. Now they are hours away. And in the case of Judas's betrayal, maybe not even hours. Um, And so Jesus is uh, carrying the weight of all these things. um, And that brings us to verse 32. It says, And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So they go to this place called Gethsemane. Um, We we know this word, right? It's even sort of passed into common usage where you can talk about someone's Gethsemane, some hour of trial or great temptation. Um, the word uh, means, I, I looked this up this afternoon, um, it means something like oil press. Um, this is, um, the Mount of uh, Gethsemane is 
apparently on the Mount of Olives, where there are literally lots of olive trees today, um, and we assume were then too. And um, so this is probably a place where they would harvest those uh, olives from the olive trees. And, and um, anyway, there was a, a place where the Jesus, the place here that Jesus liked to go to pray. So he went with his disciples on this last night to Gethsemane to pray. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And then he took with him Peter and James and John. Right? So he's got 12 disciples and he says to the group, you guys stay here. I'm going to go over there and pray. But then he takes three, Peter, James, and John, along with him uh, to go uh, enter into this intense time of prayer. And I I think it's worth pointing out there uh, because I think um, some of us um, struggle with feeling like you have to include everybody in everything that you do. Um, and feeling guilty anytime you leave anybody out of anything. I know I struggle with that kind of thing sometimes. Um, Jesus didn't take everybody to do everything. Um, there are times when it's appropriate to have only a certain group of people involved in what you're doing. Um, there's nothing sinful or wrong with having some people that you're closer to than others, some people that you trust more than others. Um, nobody is made to be friends with everybody on the same level all the time. It just doesn't work that way. Um, and so that helps me. I don't know if that helps you um, to to see that kind of thing in Jesus. Um, it's not favoritism. Yeah. It's not sinful. Uh, it's just life. I mean, it's just the way, way that it works. So he takes Peter and James and John and it says he began to be greatly distressed and troubled, and he said to them, "My soul is very sorrowful, even to death." So, <clears throat> when we think about Jesus, we are always struggling to keep in tension um, his humanity and his deity. Right, that he is fully God and he is truly man. Right. Um, that is a mystery that we can confess, but we cannot completely comprehend. Um, And there are certain passages of Scripture that highlight one or the other, that remind us more intensely of one or the other. And um, there's always a temptation to water one set of those passages down, you know. Well, the, the passages where it sounds like he's really human, those don't really mean what they say because we know really he's God. Right? Or the passages that talk about his divinity, his deity, we want to water those down and say, well, that's, you know, that sounds like you know, he's really all-powerful, and all, but we, what we, really we know he's, he's a man. You know? um, we, have to, we have to keep both sets of passages, and we have to affirm both sides of, of that truth, right? that Jesus is God in the flesh. He's God um, become man. And uh, in this passage, we cannot water down the anguish and the distress and the trouble that is burdening Jesus. We can't say, well, he's God and he knows what's going to happen and he knows about the resurrection on the other side. And so, you know, it's not as bad as it looks. No, it's as bad as it looks. 
Right? Uh, Jesus is not saying these things just to make people think that this is really bad. He's saying it because it's really bad. I mean, he's, he's saying these things to his disciples um, authentically, right? Genuinely. He's not putting on a show. He's telling them what is going on in his heart, in his soul, in his body. He is experiencing extreme distress and sorrow as his death approaches. Um, and so this passage, this text, this, this window that we have into Jesus' life at this moment uh, impresses upon us the genuine humanity of Jesus. Right? Like I said before, we cannot think of Jesus, even though he is God in the flesh, we can't think of him like Superman. You know, because Superman looks like a man, but bullets bounce off of him. You know, he's not actually a man. He's, he's, things that are hard for us are not hard for him. Right? Um, and so sometimes we tend to think, yeah, okay, well, Jesus was tempted, but he's God, so it wasn't really hard. Well, no, Hebrews says he suffered when he was tempted. Uh, the story of Gethsemane indicates that, I mean, he was hard-pressed. He, he was in great anguish, and this is genuine. And so he's sorrowful, and so he tells his disciples to remain there and watch. Um, now, <clears throat> there are probably several things he could mean by that. Right? Are they supposed to watch for his sake? Are they supposed to watch for their sake? Are they supposed to? What are they supposed to be doing? Um, but probably at least part of what they're supposed to be doing is um, helping Jesus. Right? He, if he. Um, didn't need friends in this moment. He could have just done this thing by himself. Right? There are plenty of times when Jesus went out to pray and took nobody with him. Right? We see earlier in the Gospels, it was his habit to go out and pray. And like in, in the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, there's one occasion where Peter finally finds Jesus. Jesus has been off praying somewhere and he says to Jesus, where have you been? We've got lines of people who want to see you, who want you to heal them. And you're you just disappeared. You can't do that. You know, um, he could have gone off entirely by himself if he wanted to, but he didn't. And I suspect that at least part of the reason why was um, when you are suffering intensely, you want someone to share in that with you at least a little bit. You want to know that you're not alone. You want to know that your friends um, are uh, at least attempting right to walk through that. Uh, difficulty with you. And so he takes them and asks them, tells them to stay and to watch and to pray. And then verse 35 says, going on a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. So Jesus, who is God, who knows the plan, who came willingly from heaven to earth to be born as a man for the very purpose of coming to this hour. When he gets to it, he asks his father, can we do this another way? Is there any way I can get out of this? Is there any way that we can skip this part of the plan? Um, again, that emphasizes... One, his genuine humanity. Nobody would want to go through this kind of thing. 
right? Um, so uh, it emphasizes that, and it emphasizes how horrible this is going to be. How how awful, not just crucifixion is, but Jesus' unique crucifixion where he's bearing the weight of our sin uh, upon his own shoulders, a weight that's not his to carry that he doesn't deserve. Uh, as he looks at that, he, he says, is there any way out? Is there any other way we can do this? And because the Father essentially answers no, we know that there was no other way for us to be saved. There was no other way for God to rescue us. I mean, because we all know, right, if, if, um, if there's something really bad um, going on with one of your children, for example, and they have to have some kind of medical procedure that's going to be painful and the recovery is going to be long and all that, and they look at you with tears in their eyes and say, is there any other way we can do this? If there's another way, you're going to find out what it is and do it, right? So if Jesus is pleading with the Father and saying, if there's any other way, can we please do that instead of this? The fact that the Father says no, right, um, shows that there, there was not another way. There was not an easier way. There was not a simpler way. There was not a less painful way. There was not a more horrifying, there was not a less horrifying way for our sins to be atoned for than through Jesus' death on the cross. There, there was just not another way. So he, he asks God for this, and he says in verse 36, he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. I mean, that, that verse alone, right, um, is worthy of hours of meditation. Um, but he's, he starts, you know, it, so in the, in the previous verse, he, it says he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he affirms in his prayer, verse 36, that all things are possible for you. Like, you can do anything. You are God. You are omnipotent. There's nothing that's too hard for you. Nothing that's impossible. You can do anything. Please take this cup from me. I know that you can. And he could. But not if he was going to save us too. Right? So, he's uses this language of the cup, right, to, um, as, I don't know, I guess a metaphor for what he's about to experience, right, this thing that I'm about to have to drink. He used it earlier with um, uh, a similar thing with um, with uh, James and John, who want to be at Jesus' right and left hand, right, and he says to them, um, can you... Uh, he says, uh, you do not know what you're asking. Are you, this is in chapter 10, are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they say, we are able. And Jesus says, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant. So they are going to, in some measure, not to the same degree as Jesus, obviously not in the same way because his, his death, his suffering is unique. But in some sense, they are going to share in the experience of suffering and death that Jesus has to experience. And that's what he's talking about by the cup. Um, And 
and then he says, though, yet not what I will, but what you will. So here's what I want to happen. Here's what I'm asking you to make happen, if it's at all possible. I know you could do it, but if that's not the plan, if that's not what you want, if that's not your way, then I'm going to do what you want me to do and not what I want to do. So <clears throat> there's also great um, humility, right, that we see in Jesus um, in his willingness and Paul draws this out in Ephesians 2, his willingness to humble himself, um, not only by becoming a man, not only by obeying the law and doing what God wants him to do, but he becomes obedient, Paul says, even to the point of, or to the point of death, even death on a cross. Even willing to suffer the ultimate in shame and humiliation and suffering, um, he's willing to do that because that's what his father wants him to do. Um, so we see his humanity, we see his humility, right? And this is what he prays. And then verse thirty-seven says, "He came and found, uh, and he came and found them sleeping, the disciples that he left behind." And he said to Peter, "Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour?" Which would sting by itself. Right, but has to especially sting in light of all the you know boasting that Peter has just done about what he's willing to do for Jesus. Right, I will die with you if necessary. Okay, but can you stay awake while I pray? Right before I'm betrayed, you can't even stay awake. Right, why are you asleep? So he says. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak, which is a, a kind way of saying to Peter, I do think your intentions are real and genuine. Your spirit is willing. You want to stay awake and pray. You want to be faithful to me. You want to stand beside me all the way to the end. But the fact is you can't always do what you feel like you want to do, like you feel like you're going to do. The flesh is weak. So calls upon them again to watch and pray that they not, may not enter into temptation. And then verse 39 says, and again he went away and prayed saying the same words. I think that's significant um, because a lot of times um, what we think we ought to be doing when we pray is exactly the opposite of what Jesus says we ought to be doing when we pray. We think that when we pray, um, that if we are really praying really spiritual, godly prayers, they're going to be long. And Jesus says, you don't have to pile up long words and phrases. You don't have to make long prayers like the Pharisees do. Your Father already knows what you need before you ask him. When Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer, it was not like 127 words. It's like six short lines it's not even a very long prayer we also think that whenever we pray we need to come up with something new to say all the time right um this is jesus's most intense hour of prayer he prays and then he comes and talks to his disciples and then he comes back and he prays the same thing over again. Right? Um, when Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer, 
Um, we have it in Matthew and we have it in Luke. And on one occasion it says, pray like this. And on one occasion it says, pray this. Which means it's okay to pray those same words over and over and over and over and over and over. Maybe even good for us. Right? Uh, it's something we're supposed to do. So um, we don't have to, and, and, and this I think is especially true when um, you're in a, a particularly um, trying moment. Um, there may be a couple of things going on. One, you may not be feeling super creative at the moment, you know, coming up with a dozen different ways to pray about the same thing. And two, sometimes in those moments, there is um, an extreme clarity, right? Where you know exactly what it is that you're wanting, right? You know what I need is for this thing right here to be fixed right now. I just want this person to survive. I just want this person to come out of this alive. I want this, I want this test to show something so we can figure out what's wrong. And I want this surgery to go well, or I want, you know, I want my child to live through this procedure or whatever it is. And there's an extreme amount of clarity. You're not praying about 15 different things. You're just this one thing. You're just hammering, God, please, please, please do this one thing. And that seems to be the way that Jesus is praying here. He's, he's not praying about a dozen different things. He's just, this is, this is what, I'm so burdened by this thing right now. Everything in my mind, my heart, my soul, everything is focused on this thing that is right in front of me right now. And I'm just pleading that we could do something different. So he says the same thing, same words. He comes back from that prayer finds the same result. Verse 40, And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Like, they didn't have any excuses. Um, one commentary said, poor Peter, said uh, even Peter didn't have anything to say this time. You know? <laughs> so that's saying something, right? They're all just sort of probably ashamed. They feel bad. They, they, they genuinely love Jesus. It's not that they don't love him. It's not that they don't want to pray. It's not that they don't care. Um, but they're tired, and it's late probably, and they're burdened, and they keep falling asleep. And so verse 41 says, He came uh, the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So after the third time, he just says, All right, it's over anyway. No sense in worrying about it, talking about it anymore. Um, It's over. This is the time. I'm about to be betrayed. Look, there comes Judas right now. Um. The fact that the disciples continue um, to um, to fall short of what Jesus is asking them to do, uh, the fact that they continue to be unable to stand alongside him and pray along with him and support him in this great hour of trial, um, further prepares us for the fact that Jesus is about to suffer alone. 
Uh, he just said a few verses ago um, that they were all going to scatter from him, right? Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Um, he told them that they would all leave him. And we're already getting a little bit of a taste of that in the garden. They're still physically present with him, but spiritually they're not able to stay with him. Right? Um, and, and also prepares us for the disciples to fall short of what they said they were going to do, which Jesus said they weren't going to do, which is they would be willing to die with him. Um, we're already seeing that's probably not going to happen since they can't even stay awake. So Jesus is bearing this intense burden. He's extremely distressed. He's asking for any possible way out. There is none. His disciples, his most trusted disciples, his inner uh, ring of friends can't stay with him, can't stay up and pray for him um, and, and bear this burden alongside him. He's, he's going to bear it alone. Um, and um, in one sense, that's a good thing like for us to see because um, we know that our salvation is not a group effort. And it was not Jesus and the disciples who laid down their lives for us. Uh, it didn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Um, it uh, could only be Jesus, right? But at the same time, seeing how uh, how alone he is in this moment um, helps us to feel and appreciate more fully the weight of what he is enduring on our behalf. You know, there's no like happy ending to this story. There's no like lighthearted, oh, well, that was good. It's it's a it's a heavy story, right? But it's it's uh we're meant to walk away from it um with a a, a greater sense of the the gravity, right, which has to do with weight, a greater sense of the gravity of what Jesus has done for us, of the, the burden that he carried for us um, so that we don't have to, right? so that we don't have to be alone, so that we don't have to carry our own sin, so that we don't have to face uh, the kind of suffering that Jesus faced uh, as a consequence for our own sin. There's no condemnation uh, for us in Christ, in part because he went through the Garden of Gethsemane and to the cross willingly, so that then he could be raised on the third day, uh, having defeated uh, death and paid fully for all of our sin. So, um, any, any thoughts or comments you want to add about?